The scripture reading this evening is from the Gospel according to John, chapter 6, verses 25 to 35. And it is my prayer that uh, these words would truly be food for your soul this evening. When they found him on the other side of the lake, they asked him, Rabbi, when did you get here? Jesus answered, I tell you the truth. You are looking for me not because you saw miraculous signs, but because you ate the loaves and had your fill. Do not work for food that spoils, but for food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give you. On him, God the Father has placed his seal of approval. Then they asked him, What must we do to do the works God requires? Jesus answered, The work of God is this, to believe in the one he has sent. So they asked him, What miraculous sign then will you give that we may see it and believe you? What will you do? Our forefathers ate the manna in the desert. As it is written, he gave them bread from heaven to eat. Jesus said to them, I tell you the truth. It is not Moses who has given you the bread from heaven, but it is my Father who gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. Sir, they said, from now on, give us this bread. Then Jesus declared, I am the bread of life. He who comes to me will never go hungry, and he who believes in me will never be thirsty. The word of the Lord. As you know, I am a teacher. And in May and June, the beginning of June, many adults will ask me, so what are you doing this summer? And it happened this year as well. And so I tell people what I'm doing. Uh, for this particular summer, though, uh, at the uh, end of what I was doing, I then said, but here is one of the highlights of my summer. And you can see a sense of anticipation arise within uh, the person. And I say, I'm leading a communion service. Now, of course, they have to look interested, but this is not what they were expecting, right? He said, I'm leading a communion service for 600. Ooh, 600. And I said, for 600 plus women. Like, well, this is, this is an interesting highlight. Was not expecting this one. And uh, just this past Thursday uh, was the highlight. Uh, led a communion service for uh, the GEMS, uh, the National GEMS Conference, which was held here at, at Wheaton College. Uh, there's a little backstory to this, though. Uh, September 29th, 2011, this last fall, uh, I woke up early in the morning and had my devotions. And I read from John chapter 6 that morning. And it was one of those mornings where my devotions, they just spoke to me in a more powerful way. I, just, I, I sense God's presence and God's spirit working in my life through this Bible passage. And I also began to think about 
how this could tie into a communion service as well. Uh, so it was a good devotional time that morning. Uh, I went to school, and when I got to school, I checked my emails. And uh, one of my emails was from the GEMS conference coordinator. All of a sudden, here it was on this morning, September 29th. And uh, in the email, uh, she asked if I would lead a communion service uh, for the GEMS ladies. And usually, checking email is not a sacred moment in one's day. Uh, but this particular morning, it was. I remember just sitting there. I couldn't believe that email was there. And I just prayed. And I felt humbled. And I also felt that providentially, Almighty God was at work. And so for uh, the next nine months, just from time to time, this would come to mind, and I would pray for this. I would think about the service. And, uh, of course, my text was picked easily nine months uh, before, the, before the service from here in John chapter 6. Uh, so on uh, Thursday night, uh, it was a two-hour service, and it was a beautiful a wonderful service. It was at Edmund Chapel, which is a beautiful place to sing. And there were times in the singing where I would just stop and listen. And I kind of felt like I was listening to a chorus of angels in heaven. It was, it was just beautiful. And uh, so this evening, uh, I'm going to uh, share with you uh, some of this message. I've changed a few things. There are some gems ladies here tonight. Uh, but here, here is the message. Uh, these words are food. And in it, as you have heard, Jesus talks about food and talks about who he is as well. Now what's interesting about John chapter 6 is as the chapter begins, Jesus is in kind of a, a swell of popularity among the people. And as John chapter 6 ends, and we didn't get to this verse, verse 60, as the chapter ends, uh, here's what it says. From this time, many of his disciples turned back and no longer followed him. Some hard words that Jesus gave. As the chapter begins, Jesus is preaching with authority and power and conviction, and the people are there. They're listening to his words. Oh, it is a good sermon Jesus is giving. Not only that, he is healing the sick. And to see so many people at one time being healed, of course, this is going to send ripples of awe through the crowd. And in this particular, shall we say, service that Jesus had, at the end, he offers free food. Jesus feeds the 5,000 plus. They thought they had seen enough with the miracles and hearing Jesus' teaching. And then, the food! Well, all good things must come to an end, and this, this meeting is drawn to a close. The people are dispersed. For some reason, only the disciples get on the boat the Sea of Galilee, and, and Jesus stays. 
Well, that night there is a storm, and Jesus walks on the water. His scared and amazed disciples see him, and then Jesus calms the storm with one command. The next day, they're on the other side of the Sea of Galilee. The crowds from the previous day are frantically searching for Jesus Christ. Finally, they find Jesus. And then what happens next, at least what the Apostle John records, are three questions that they ask Jesus. Three questions. And uh, Jesus' response to them is uh, what we want to look at this evening. So the first question. When they found him on the other side of the lake, they asked him, Rabbi, when did you get here? Now, Jesus knew what they were really asking. Jesus could understand what was going on behind the question. So, of course, Jesus did not, under, he did not reply, well, at 7 this morning, that's when I got here. Or, you know, well, maybe you don't know, but I, I walked across the lake. What do you think of that? No, Jesus didn't do that. Jesus knew that they were concerned about the physical. And so Jesus wanted to answer them, answer this question, kind of relating to what was going on underneath the question. Jesus, you fed us yesterday. What else physically can you do for us? And as you read this chapter in context, you know that in the back of these people's minds are this. Jesus, perhaps you could also become our king. And if you do, you could defeat the Romans. And after you defeat the Romans, you could lead us into a new era of peace in the land and prosperity in the land with lots of food and a perfect life here in Palestine. This is kind of what's going on behind this question, and Jesus knew it. And so Jesus answers this way. Very truly I tell you, you are looking for me, not because you saw the signs I performed, but because you ate the loaves and the fish, and you had your fill. Do not work for food that spoils, but for food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give you, for on him God the Father has placed his seal of approval. You and I, we're concerned about the physical, right? How we feel. After all, we have to live in our bodies day after day. And so we are constantly thinking about how we feel physically, how we feel socially and relationally, how we feel even mentally. So much of our life, as we think about it, is concerned with how we feel. And it can be a temptation for us to be so focused on how we feel that we just treat God as a cosmic Santa Claus to go to him when we need something. And, oh, help me! But then we get back onto our life and try to work out so that we can feel the best we can day by day. 
The spiritual realm is every bit as real as this physical realm with so many feelings that stir within us. The spiritual realm is real and it affects our lives. And Jesus knew this. So he gave words of the Spirit because, yes, Jesus is concerned about life. He is concerned about our lives, but he sees the big picture, and so he says, I have come to bring eternal life. You're not thinking about that right now. You're just thinking about how you feel. You need to lift your eyes up and see truth and reality, big picture, and I have come to bring eternal life. The physical life, of course, is important. God has given it to us. And so, of course, eating food is important. Taking care of ourselves. Teaching middle school boys to wear deodorant. This is important. There's a lot of things in life that we do day by day that we need to be concerned about physically. But we need to remember the big picture, the realm of the spirit. And when we think about life, we need to think about eternal life. Eternal life. This is why it is so important for us to go to church every week. Because when we come to church, we hear God's word. And this helps kind of refocus us, recenter us on God's perspective. This is why I believe it's so important that daily in our lives we feed upon God's word and we spend time in prayer because when we do that, we're, we're weak. We need these helps in our life to help us think about God's perspective. This is the realm of the spirit and this is eternal life. How is God calling you to be more aware of the realm of the spirit and of eternal life. Second question. Then they asked him, what must we do to do the works God requires? Jesus answered, the work of God is this, to believe in the one he has sent. The question, what must we do, implies we, they, who asked the question, we are in control. We are in control. So what can I plan to do to do this work that God requires? Okay? You just tell me, Jesus, and I'll, I'll, I'll plan my life. I'll use my strength, my effort to do this work that God requires. As humans, we often like to be in control, Right? And if we can control the lives of those around us, well, so much the better. Why do we like to be in control? Because if we're in control, then maybe our life will have a little less worry, a little less fear, a little less stress, because everything is in control. Well, Jesus, he knows better. And we know better as well, right? We're weak. We, we can't be in control. Life, life throws curveballs, and 
things happen in this world that we are completely out of control. We don't have the strength to do the work that God requires. And so Jesus gives us wonderful words of grace. People tend to resist this grace because they want to be in control and do the work. But these words of grace, the work of God is this, to believe, to believe in the one he has sent. The work of God is this, to give up control, to believe, to trust, and with true trust comes an attitude of surrender that, God, I am yours, and I need your work to be done in my life. Now, many of you, uh, maybe you have done this yourself or worked with youth. There's a very popular faith activity called the trust fall. Does this ring a bell with some people, the trust fall? Okay, shall I demonstrate? We could demonstrate it now. We're not, we won't demonstrate it now. But in the trust fall, you have somebody that stands on a chair, right? And they turn over backwards. I, I will not fall. They turn over backwards, and you have a few people lined up here with their hands out, right? And then you ask the person on the chair to keep their knees locked and don't look back. Just trust, and you just fall straight as a board. You just fall back into their arms, right? And when you fall, what's happening? You're giving up control. You are surrendering your life, in a sense, to those who are catching you. So I have done this uh, exercise. I think it's a nice little exercise. I did it once, and uh, I asked for a volunteer. This is not always a good thing to do. Uh, but this uh, very sweet girl, oh, she was eager. I will do this. Like, All right, come on up. And uh, we put her on uh, a very sturdy uh, like object here. So her feet were about this far up. And I called a few other girls to come up, and they were, they were going to catch her. Okay? Now I told her, in order to make this trust fall you know, real, you cannot look back, and you need to keep your knees locked. Okay? So on the count of three. One, two, three. And uh, she bent her knees and looked back. And she, she kind of, they, they caught her, of course, but I'm like, oh, this is not true faith. Let's try it again. And I thought that my enthusiasm would, would give her some motivation. No. Bent knees, you know, back. I'm like, all right, my faith lesson has just bombed, okay? Well, there was, uh, once I did this uh, trust fall, I was in a middle school chapel, and I still remember this boy. Uh, he currently is going to be a senior at Timothy. Uh, but he's in seventh grade, and uh, I wanted to do this uh, uh, picture of trust. So I had a table, and then I had a chair on top of the table. Okay, so the, this poor guy's feet were like, they were up this high. And I had nobody behind him to catch him. Okay? Um, so I get him up on the chair, and I say, now, you know, in, in just a moment, I'm going to ask you to fall back, and you're going to have to trust me that you're going to be safe. I'm your Bible teacher, and I'm not going to allow you to get hurt. Okay? And I said, in order to make this more faith, I'm going to blindfold you. Okay, so he was up this high, blindfolded, with no one behind him. Okay? So we blindfold him, 
And uh, after I did this, I was talking to him, but I pointed to a few guy teachers there, and uh, they had known this in advance, and I just waved like this, and silently they walked up to the stage and they stood here like this. So the whole audience could see this kid's fall was completely safe. Uh, teachers were there. Uh, so I said to him, the boy, now when I count to three, knees locked, fall straight back, and I want to tell you something. I promise you, as your Bible teacher, you will be safe. No harm will come to you. I noticed that he was shaking. And I said, all right, one, two, three. And this boy had faith. Knees locked, he fell like a board right into the strong arms of these male teachers. Uh, and then I went on with my message. Later, I asked the boy, I said, what, were you, what was going through your mind? I noticed you were shaking. He replied to me, I thought it was only you who was behind me. Then he taught me a lesson on faith. Wow. If I could live my life in the arms of Jesus with that kind of faith that he demonstrated, amazing. So I want to uh, ask you this question. How is God calling you to surrender to Jesus? How is he calling you to surrender to Jesus? Part of surrender, of course, is to confess sin. As I think about this in my own life, and this is a message to all of us, uh, I'm a type of person that has a daily to-do list. And I know there's many of you in this room like this as well. And uh, a to-do list is very good. It's organized, helps me. Uh, but there are times in my life where I can just sense my to-do list is going to drive my day. And uh, there are times where I think God is teaching me to surrender the to-do list to him. Uh, not to throw it out, but to surrender it. Uh, as we go through our lives, part of the Christian life, part of maturity, is just being, being, uh, becoming more aware of how to more fully surrender to Jesus Christ. How is God calling you to surrender more fully to Jesus? And then lastly, they asked him this question. What sign then will you give that we may see it and believe you? What will you do? Our ancestors ate manna in the wilderness. As it is written, he gave them bread from heaven to eat. We know from John chapter 6 verse 4 that the Passover was coming. Not the Passover of Passion Week and the crucifixion. This was a, an earlier Passover. But in the people's minds was going to Jerusalem, thinking about the Exodus and Moses, the Passover. Jesus, what sign are you going to do? Now, we know that you fed 5,000. 
but Moses fed a nation. You fed us for one meal, but Moses, for, for 40 years, you fed us, but it was ordinary bread. Moses, ah, manna, bread from heaven. What are you going to do, Jesus? Jesus says to them, Very truly, I tell you, it is not Moses who has given you the bread from heaven, but it is my Father who gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is the bread that comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. Sir, they said, always give us this bread. It makes me think of John chapter 4, the woman at the well. When Jesus was in Samaria, she said at one point, Sir, give me this water so I will not be thirsty. And now here in John 6, the people are saying, Sir, give us this bread. And when they say that, Jesus utters his first of seven famous and powerful I am statements that the Apostle John writes and records. After they say this, Sir, always give, give us this bread, then Jesus declared. What would it have been like to have been there to hear this? Then Jesus declared, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never go hungry. Whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. Jesus declares, I am the bread of life. In a culture of so much, I think to myself, how much do I need Jesus? After all, tomorrow, I'm not going to be nervous that I won't have enough food to eat. I will not kneel by my bed and say, Lord, please provide food for my family today. I don't know where it's going to come from. Tomorrow, I don't think I'll have a headache, but if I did, I'll just walk and get some ibuprofen, and that takes care of it. If I uh, need something at the store, of course, I'll just get in an automobile and, and drive there. No big deal. In a culture of so much, we need to ask ourselves the question, how much do I need Jesus? And also, what does it mean to feed on Jesus? Of course, we desperately need Jesus. Whether we realize it or not, we need him. We need, desperately need his grace. For Jesus is the bread of life given. How do you feed on Jesus? One way is to phrase it is simply this. You confess your sins and you surrender and trust in Jesus on a daily basis. I'm fairly confident that all of you, most of you in this room, you have in the past confessed your sins and trusted in Jesus. 
But this is part of also the daily walk of feeding in Jesus, that we confess our sins and we trust in Jesus. And when we do this, we are feeding on the bread of life, the Lord Jesus Christ. When we feel unfulfilled, when we feel mad or sad or we act bad, we need simply to look to Jesus. This life here and now matters immensely. But God never promised that this life would be perfect, that we would feel fine all the time. Jesus came for something much, much more important. And what was that? What is the most important thing? If we could pick one thing, what is it? It is to be reconciled with our Creator, a right relationship with God. Sinful people once again being accepted by a holy God, and that is through Jesus Christ, the bread of life, who has come to offer eternal life.